This is Bobby Guy with the 10-Minute Health BizCast. This is album three, track five. We've talked about the twin pillars of U.S. healthcare for the next 20 years, being competition and distribution. When we talk about competition, we're talking about the pursuit of excellence. On this track of the Health BizCast, I'm going to tell you a personal story that may give you some insight into our system in the U.S. and issues around excellence. And as you hear this, realize that my family starts with a lot of advantages. We have good health insurance. We're not sheiks from the Middle East, but we can pay a fair amount out of pocket to get great health care. My wife and I have a bunch of degrees, and I work in the world of healthcare as a lawyer. I've got doctors in my family, and when I was in law school, my roommates and best friends were a bunch of med students. So my wife and I are reasonably well connected in the healthcare community. As you hear this story, realize that I think everyone involved in it had good intentions. I don't think we met anyone who was incredibly selfish or just in it for the money. And listen for opportunity, because there is lots of it in this story. You'll hear inefficiency, missed opportunity, and ways we can change healthcare for the better. The story is rife with those. And finally, I'll tell you before it starts that the story has a happy ending, so you can relax and enjoy the ride as an education in healthcare. The story starts in 2001 when my second child was born. At about four months, he started having episodes of croup on a regular basis. Croup is when your throat tightens and your cough sounds like a barking dog. Most parents have had this experience with their children once or so. We started having it for week-long periods that would start every few weeks. Our first pediatricians described it as just a recurring case of the croup. But that's not a diagnosis. That's like saying your kid has a cough problem and we don't know why. And by the way, kids don't get recurring episodes of the croup virus month after month. Instead, my son's regular colds or allergies would always turn into the croup. In the day, our son would present as sick but reasonably okay. And our pediatrician didn't believe the severity of the episodes we were having. Every night. Until I recorded it on my dictaphone. For anyone under 40, this is a small cassette tape recorder we all used before cell phones became the norm. The doctor was amazed and couldn't believe it was the same kid when he heard the dictaphone. He took 10 minutes in another room to go research it and came back and prescribed a breathing treatment for asthma. And that was it. We continued to have the problem. If you've ever read Mornings on Horseback about Teddy Roosevelt's childhood, that was pretty much our experience, except it's now more than 100 years later. We were driving our son around at night in the cold air, trying to get him sleeping upright, trying breathing steam, and then always the advanced asthma breathing treatment that Roosevelt didn't have. It helped, but it didn't fix it. We were also constantly canceling social engagements and trips to focus on the one thing that had to matter most to us right now. My wife did a lot of research on the internet. We changed pediatricians, and we took recommendations to go see a bunch of specialists. My wife, a very talented artist with a tenacious and relentless love for her family, had figured out that a lot of croup and asthma is related to reflux, as well as to allergies and cold sickness, and that the source is often inflammation, not constrictions like doctors were taught. 
So we saw an ENT doctor who sent us to a pulmonologist, who sent us to a gastrointestinal doctor, who sent us back to the ENT doctor. In the medical profession, we call this getting turfed. We were getting sent by each doctor to someone else with a different specialty because the first doctor didn't see how the problem was directly related to his or her specialty. And each time, the next appointment took months to get and the doctors never talked to each other. When we got to the gastro doctor at a major research university, he hadn't heard about the now well-documented connection between asthma and reflux, but he took our word for it. He ordered an x-ray to be taken right after my son drank a solution to see if he had reflux that pushed it back up. The x-ray was an interesting experience because the only person in the x-ray room not wearing a lead covering was my son, even though he was the one taking all the radiation. The reason was the pediatric x-ray team didn't have a pediatric x-ray shield for my son on hand that day. We still don't know why. But I think it's because they were focused on training. Because what happened was, the radiologist explained that he was going to let the resident hold the x-ray trigger and take the x-ray while he was training her. But when it came time to take the x-ray, he began jockeying with the resident to take back over the x-ray trigger and miss the timing on the x-ray. When we got back to our gastro doctor a few days later, he said the x-ray didn't show any reflux. The reason was that despite my son practically throwing up with reflux on the x-ray table, the x-ray team's interpersonal spat meant that they botched the x-ray. We had my son take a drink in the office of the gastro doctor to show him the problem, which was undeniable, and he then immediately scheduled another x-ray for a few weeks later. The result of all this was that my son got Prilosec as a drug to help with acid reflux. And it actually did help some with the asthma, but the problem was far from solved. And by the way, all of the procedures, including the botched x-ray, got paid for, either by us as part of our high deductible plan or by our insurance. The fact that it was done wrong never affected payment. Every three weeks, we were back in emergency mode with my son getting croup again, we were solving for it a little bit at a time, but never able to resolve it. And often it was nights, weekends, and holidays when it was hard to reach a doctor. If we could reach a doctor, we never got the same one, so we often got different treatments. Some would say he didn't need anything because it was just a cold, and we must protect against antibiotic overuse. Others would give him an antibiotic, which usually worked within a day or two to make him remarkably better and to avoid the need for steroids. Others would say he just needed a steroid and prescribe that. Steroids, by the way, reduce inflammation, but they also increase acid reflux, which creates inflammation. So we were stuck in a perpetual vicious circle, and my wife was the only one who in 2005 could explain interrelation of the health conditions. We had two months of health every year at most, June and July when colds and allergies were the least where we live, and then 10 months of hell. We went everywhere. We went to homeopaths who helped us with nutrition, and it was huge. We tried elimination diets, and it helped a lot. We went to chiropractors, and we went to lots of medical doctors looking for anyone who could help. We talked to connections at major research universities and clinics across the country about where to go and whether they could help us, but never could find a comprehensive solution. At the recommendation of our new pediatrician, we went to an ENT to take out my son's adenoids and tonsils in his throat to help with his recurring sicknesses, cough, and breathing. 
The ENT agreed to take out the adenoids, but said he saw no reason to take out the tonsils. Our pediatrician was clear the tonsils should come out too, and we were clear with our ENT on this, but the two never talked, and the ENT was firm in his opinion. He removed my son's adenoids. Then a month later, in August, when my son got sick, he said, oh, we've got to take out the tonsils too. So we paid for two surgeries when they should have been done as one. And the circumstances didn't change the price. It was the full boat price two times. My son went under anesthesia twice also and had to suffer through two surgeries instead of just one. I talked to my brother-in-law, who's a leading internist at a practice on the East Coast, and he told me what I needed was a protocol for my son so that he could get the same care regardless of who the doctor was and that probably the only way to stop getting turfed was to go to a practice that had all the specialists who could help, so that the care would be coordinated by one medical practice. Otherwise, it would continue to be disjointed. I was amazed that doctors who weren't in the same practice had so much inefficiency in sharing knowledge, but I found a special report in The Economist magazine that confirmed that this was the Achilles heel of healthcare in many countries. This is the Economist report that I discussed in the introduction to Album 1. I created a one-page healthcare resume for my son, describing what his problems had been, the sorts of doctors we had seen, the treatments he'd received, and what we had found to be the best way to treat him to avoid the croup. Prophylactic use of antibiotics to avoid overuse of steroids as the lesser of two evils. We found a new clinic in town that specialized in asthma, and I used a connection to get us in there quickly with one of their top doctors. There was a waiting list. Over several well-organized visits at the clinic, we were told that nutrition had little to do with our son's problems, and it wasn't worth spending our money on organic groceries. You'll understand the irony of this shortly. They also checked my son's immunizations and gave him a second immunization for something he'd already been immunized for in the prior year, saying, it won't hurt him. Of course, as we all know, over-immunizing does hurt people, especially people with highly reactive airways and with autoimmune issues. And this was a clinic that specializes in chronic airway conditions. We finally got a few of our doctors to get together to create a protocol for us. To be fair, I wrote the first draft to give them a template from our experience and then gave it to them to revise. They did and put it in their records so that our son could get the consistent treatment every time for his croup and asthma issues. The way this came about? Following my brother-in-law's advice, I asked our pulmonologist if he could get together with our pediatrician, who had already agreed to act as the point person for all of my son's healthcare conditions. The pulmonologist said this was something he just couldn't do, and that if we wanted the same treatment, we just had to see the same doctor all the time. What I realized was he was actually saying, I can't do it because insurance won't pay me to consult with other doctors. But he wouldn't quite say that. So I asked him if it made a difference if I paid cash for the consultation. His answer was, oh, well then of course we can do that. After several weeks, we finally had a protocol. The next time my son got sick, we went to our pediatrician's office, where her partner was on call on a Saturday morning. When I told him we had a protocol with his office that explained how to take care of my son, he looked through the electronic medical records and said there wasn't one. He didn't believe me, because he'd never seen one before, and he actually insinuated I was making it up. We went home without an antibiotic, even though that's exactly what the protocol said to do to avoid needing a steroid. 
and even though I'd just paid cash to each of the doctors to get them to create the protocol. I managed to use a connection to get an antibiotic for my son, and he was well within 48 hours and didn't need a steroid. A week later, the pediatrician's office called back and said they'd found the protocol and that it was in the EMR, but it was in a different folder than the notes folder, so the on-call doctor hadn't been able to find it. Skip ahead 10 years, and by the time my son was a freshman in high school, my wife had done such an amazing job assembling pieces of advice from all the different healthcare providers that my son was the point guard on the JV basketball team at a school that loves basketball. He was one of the two fastest kids on the court, and his croup and asthma were very controlled. Until just after the season, that is, when he had a total health crash. I took a week off of work, and my wife and I whiteboarded all the options and tried to come up with a game plan for what to do. Over the next year, we finally got the real solution. One of the med school guys I had hung around with in law school now had a functional medicine practice in Nashville. You might remember the David Hazy track from album one. We went to him to get his opinions. Instead of short transactional meetings with providers, we were now having an ongoing consultation with someone who was thinking about complex systems and looking for long-term solutions, and he figured it out. At 16, he accurately diagnosed my son with celiac disease, a digestion allergy to gluten and his healthcare crash was caused by all the minerals he'd been unable to absorb over the years because of celiac. It turned out it was a hidden copper deficiency that had caused the crash, and when we did the full-on celiac diet and supplemented my son's copper, he recovered. At 17 years old, my son was finally sustainably healthy. What's the normal time it takes to diagnose celiac in the U.S.? Six to eight years. It took 16 to get it diagnosed for my son, because it's hard, and in the U.S. we're not good at it. In addition, there are a lot of bad incentives here. Every unnecessary or duplicative procedure got paid for in full, and I've left out a bunch more, like failed allergy tests taken while he was known to be on Zyrtec, for example. Until recently in healthcare, everything gets paid for regardless of the result. So, do I hate healthcare because of this? Absolutely not. I love healthcare. Because in a third world country, my son would have just died. And now he's a healthy young man in his 20s, and he looks and feels great as long as he minds his diet. By providence, my family and I were born in the U.S. with the means to help my son. And by the grace of providence, I've gotten to be part of his journey and I get to enjoy his company now. What I see in my family's healthcare experience is a lot of pain, some of it unnecessary, a lot of cost, some of it unnecessary, and a lot of opportunity to change healthcare. Because we can do so much better. And if this is my experience as an educated lawyer with money who works in the healthcare field, imagine what it must be like for so many other people who interact with our healthcare system without the same advantages. This has been the 10-Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks very much for joining us.